Welcome to another episode of Coffee with Kareem. Today I have a very special guest, uh, a dear friend, brother, and uh, professional colleague, Ziad Ramadan. He is the founder of Purify Your Gaze, an organization that identifies itself as a safe place for Muslims healing from unwanted sexual behavior. Ziad, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me, my friend. Assalamualaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So I, I wanted to share an intro as to how our paths crossed because it is very significant. And I think it's a great story of, you know, the, the, the power of intention and sincerity to help our ummah. Um, so some of you out there who, who may know or may not know, um, I have a uh, organization called Noor Human Consulting, which offers spiritual counseling and coaching for Muslims. And... Um, Oftentimes, I would get clients who had unwanted sexual behaviors, and uh, I, I learned about Purify Your Gaze through Facebook, and a few friends had, had told me about it, and I would you know, be referring um, these clients to uh, Purify Your Gaze as, as a resource for their specific uh, journey. And um, about, what was it, last year's yet, we, we got in touch, and, uh, and basically we said, you know, this is a, this is a very... Uh, serious uh, need that we have in our community. I, I noticed it was growing. Of course, um, you know, this was uh, a need that you identified uh, several years back. And, uh, and and you're now, mashallah, fulfilling this uh, need as best as you can through this organization. Um, and then we decided why not work together and uh, collaborate on serving the Muslims when it comes to this particular journey, because it is a very serious one. And um, it seems like it will only get worse with uh, some of the uh, advents of, um, you know, constant internet usage and, of course, virtual reality. Uh, but I'd love to, you know, I'm sure a lot of people are interested in knowing, you know, how did you decide to start an organization which helps people with, you know, pornography addictions and unwanted sexual behaviors? I mean, not too many Muslim kids are like, hey, when I grow up, I want to, you know, Heal, heal people <laughs> from, from pornography, um, you know. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about your journey and then career path and how you ended up doing something so unique yet sure, so sure, needed. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, um, uh, thank you for that. Um, um, yeah, I, I think it's been about a year since uh, um, since we've uh, started collaborating together. It was last, uh, uh, last summer we got in touch and, uh, you know, the rest is history, alhamdulillah. But uh, as far as... Um, um, yes, I didn't. When I was uh, six years old, I didn't uh, have the aspiration that one day I'm going to start serving uh, Muslims with uh, pornography and sexual addiction. Actually, um, I wanted to be like my dad. My dad and mom are both doctors. But um, growing up, one of the things that really um, was uh, formative for me, really shaped me, was um, just being in the community and um different people from, you know, the security man, the security guard at the supermarket to um, just we're at the pool and some random person approaches my dad and um, they, they, they come and approach him with a hug. And I asked my dad, you know, what's uh, what was that about? He's like, oh, th this was a patient of mine. And you know, I heard it so many times. Thank you so much, Dr. Ramadan. Um, you know, you, you really helped my family. You saved my life. So growing up, I actually wanted to be a doctor. And, uh, um, you know, so that uh, when I was probably five, six years old, I remember um, as a kindergartner, I, I wanted to be a doctor. You know, we had uh, what do you want to be as, uh, you know, when you grow up uh, as an adult today as kindergartners. And that's what I that's what I put down. So my whole life, I uh, my aspirations and focus was to become a doctor. Um, I got to college 
I took uh, um, bio classes, anatomy, and I um, discovered I did not want to be a doctor. <laughs> so so um, uh, um, I did not like the sight of blood, um, did not want to be a doctor. And um, that was kind of a crisis for me because um, my entire life and direction was uh, um, set out to be on that path. And, um, you know, fortunately, but uh, unfortunately, um, I had an experience with uh, severe depression um, you know, when I was in college and um, I did, I had no direction for my life. And that kind of led me into, um, at some point, into the world of psychology, um, was able to pick myself uh, back up uh, off the ground. And I uh, loved it so much that, you know, I was able to help myself. I decided, you know, I want to become a life coach and uh, a strategic interventionist. And alhamdulillah, I've been working with the Muslim community on uh, spiritual, mental, relational well-being for the past 10 years now. Um, how that evolved into uh, Purify Your Gaze, I mean, um, you know, as you know, or anybody in the field knows, we see all different kinds of things. And um, there was one client in particular who um, had struggles with pornography, and um, hit, my experience working with him really touched me at a, on a personal level, um, you know, just seeing the destruction, you know, I remember vividly, um, you know, we, we, he, we worked remotely with each other and, um, you know, some of the sessions we had, he had his daughter on his lap because his wife had to work. And I just was imagining and he's telling me like what, what's happening, I'm like poor kids um, and what, what's happened to them. And, and at the same, seeing the destruction and at the same time, seeing the sincerity. And um, I was just out of curiosity, wanted to, um, look for resources for Muslims, what, what was out there, and there really wasn't anything out there for Muslims. Uh, most of the resources were done by, um, were, were available by um, individuals of other faiths, so Christian organiz organizations, and then there was, uh, um, you know, secular-based uh, organizations that, uh, and of course you have traditional therapy, but um, I guess, you uh, um, I'd always wanted to do something, and I um, was able to um, see the opportunity in the crisis, like you can say, and um, the rest is history. God bless you, man. Thank you for that uh, sharing and um, very interesting story. And alhamdulillah that you are doing what you're doing because I know for a fact that it's it's certainly um, changed and transformed many individuals. And uh, I even thought about calling this show Finding God Through Porn because I thought it would be very catchy, but also um, striking. And subhanAllah, believe it or not, I mean, this issue of uh, recovery has brought a lot of brothers and sisters back to their deen. And it's, 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 it's very weird to think about, but I, it's important to do this, you know, mental yoga, if you will, and stretch our capacity for understanding how Allah SWT can bless people, even through the most... Um, you know, what would be considered a very shameful space with a lot of people uh, to, to go to a place like Purify Your Gaze and admit that they have this issue, which which brings me to my first question. So a common theme, and I'm sure you've probably heard this, you know, whether it's through media, you know, criticism through social media or elsewise, you know, how could you do this? Um, you're exposing people's sins. Uh, the Islam teaches us to veil our sins. So what would your response be to that and, and how this uh, organization is basically calling people to come and admit to something so private and so shameful for most? Yeah, um, there's there's a lot of uh, 
upset people when we got started eight years ago. And there's some some people, but alhamdulillah, I mean, the community as a whole has evolved so much in the past eight to ten years um, with regards to our uh, uh, education, the awareness around mental health, um, and um, the way that I mean, the way that I explain it to people is yes, we have this injunction in our deen to cover up our sins. Yes. And, and, and uh, at the same time, we have to take a look, you know, what's, where's, what, what is creating greater harm? Is the covering up of, if something is recurring in one's life and is sinful and is causing one to fall into greater sin, um, maybe, maybe the wiser thing is to, and right here to disclose, it's not for the purpose of boasting. It's not to say, hey, look at me um, and, and, and boasting about it. But it's really the, the intention is to come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so one can get out of sin. And, you know, our deen, our deen I believe, makes uh, our, our deen, ha- there's, there is context to, to um, the injunctions in our deen. I think this is, this is an important exception where, you know, one can be at physical, spiritual, relational harm, it's important to get help. You know, just as we, you know, we, we don't think twice a bit about getting help for uh, medical medical attention. I think the the same same applies when it when it when it comes to our mental and emotional well-being as well. Right. Yeah, and I'd love to add to that. I mean, I was actually just making that point yesterday um, to an individual who was in the medical field, and I said, you know, how frustrating would it be? that as a doctor, um, you had family members that you knew were sick. You could, you could notice changes in their, you know, patches in their skin, or they're just not um, showing the same amount of energy. And they just don't want to go to the doctor because they don't want to deal with it, or they don't want to face it, or they don't want to own that they might have something wrong with them. So this is a, obviously a very big step is to, um, t- uh, to admit that there is uh, a health issue here. And the wise person would go seek treatment. Um, and on that hadith about veiling one's sins, I mean, what I was always taught was veiling one's sins is for the purpose of not flaunting what you do wrong. Because if you become very public, let's say about, you know, maybe you are an alcoholic or maybe you do watch pornography or whatever it is. If you become very public about this, then what happens is it, it number one, it takes away from your um, repertoire and, and character, which of course honor is an important virtue that all cultures have, you know, uh, re- recognize. Uh, and on the other hand, sometimes when we publicize things that we um, is, is counter to the values of that community, we could almost be unconsciously or indirectly promoting it. And I and I see this. I've seen this happen a lot, especially you know with youth. You know, well, my friend Muhammad smokes weed, so so what's the big deal? He's a good guy. And he's Muslim, so, you know, I know he smokes weed, and so I smoke weed, right? So this idea of veiling your sins is also about not exposing your sins because it can cause more harm to yourself and to others. There's, there's, there's a definite desensitization. There's definitely, if you, if, you, if you just normalize it, and I think, I think you know, you said, there's, you said it right, there's, there's a definite balance. And, um, you know, it's choosing when to disclose if something is affecting you. Um, you, you know, you, you want to see the bigger picture and say, you know, um, maybe it's better for me to not just disclose to anybody, but to disclose to the right people, someone who can guide me onto the right path. Right. So if you're doing it for the purpose of greater benefit and good and healing, as you said, then this actually becomes an obligation on you, really, when you think about it, because that's an Islamic uh, command. 
right? That you always move towards what is right and, and purify yourself of what is wrong. And so that becomes also responsibility. And I've also, um, come across cases where this idea of veiling one's sins and, and, you know, the shame of the family and what will people think and all these kind of embedded notions in, in many Muslim cultures, it can sometimes go to such an extremes yet where, for example, a woman knows that her, you know, father, uh, her husband or her brother was like molesting her child for 20 years. And she never wanted to say anything because she wanted to veil her husband or her brother's sins. You know, it just sometimes it gets to a point where it now becomes you're 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 an enabler of of evil itself. Subhanallah. So it's something we have to be very careful about and, and use wisdom and uh, balance when we uh, approach the uh, issues that we have. And ultimately, if we're going to someone who can help us and who can support us, and most of these types of you know healing services and, and therapeutic services out there, I mean, the, the first ethic is confidentiality. Right? Absolutely. Um, in, in most situations. Uh, so this is, I think, an important reminder for our audience to remember that if you have a problem or you have an issue, um, you have to think about uh, the greater good for yourself and, of course, your relationship to the divine. Absolutely. And I think there's it's also a big shout out to um, all the community leaders, the imams, those on the front lines. And uh, they, they've been re responsible really for the evolution of the community. So uh, many times um, just having hearing from someone who's in a prominent position, your imam, um, giving the khutbah and talking about, you know, say, for example, pornography addiction and talking about the mental health behind it, it goes such a long way. So alhamdulillah, I mean, the criticisms have not come from those in a position of, those in a position of knowledge. The position of usually come from, you know, someone in the community. And, you know, if you do anything meaningful in life, you're always, you cannot escape criticism. So, you know, you just learn to, you know, to listen to that which is fair and, and, and uh, to grow from it. And that which is toxic, you just learn to tune out. Right. Now, some people, you know, I don't know, there might be people out there who aren't convinced that this is an issue, right? Uh, especially if somebody doesn't use pornography or has ever th considered it, they might not think it's really a big deal. Um, do you have any stats, perhaps, that you could share with us about how real and relevant this uh this phenomena actually is? Uh, so starting out with um, just looking at pornography use in general, I think a lot of people um, confuse pornography use with addictions. So, um, you know, we can't, we, our society today is super sexualized. Um, you know, the, the top activity online is pornography use. Um, the stats around pornography use, I mean, 65% of young men and um, I, I want to say 20% of young women turn to pornography at least once a week. But, you know, uh, comparing that to when pornography or sex has become an addiction, um, the numbers are pretty scary. I mean, one in 12, um, I've seen one in 12 or one in 20 um, individuals are struggling with a some form of uh, sex or cyber sex addiction. Um, this is uh, and this is here nationally within the United States. Right. And and the stats are even more staggering when you look at global. Yeah, I, I don't know about, you know, so I don't know about uh, what what the, the, the stats are for addiction globally. But, you know, um, going with this, going with this number um, is probably probably a safe way to understand going from community to community. Um, it may go higher or lower, but probably one in 12. And if you just think about it. You know, think of 12 people that you know, 
um, you know, just st starting out with your siblings, your friends, your neighbors, the person you pray next to, the people you pray next to in the masjid, you know more than 12 people. And if we just go by the, the, the statistics, one out of 12 people, there's someone that you know uh, that is struggling and you, you likely don't know it. I mean, I just had one very, uh, I just had a very close family uh, friend approach approach me and say, you know, um, I've got a, I've got a, uh, I've got a family member who's struggling with pornography addiction, and I've known them for years. I had no idea. Um, so, so it's um, it's likely you know someone that's struggling. You know, it's, it's it's even though you haven't met someone, I can say definitively you know some there is someone that you do know that is struggling. Right, and and what's also scary is there's probably a large percentage of people that use pornography that don't think they actually have an addiction. They don't think it's there's anything wrong with it because again, it is very normalized. And uh, this has become the new sex ed for a lot of young people uh, growing up uh, in the United States and, and other parts of the world. And um, I mean, just to uh, consider the fact that many people don't even consider it a problem or addiction, those stats could all even be much larger. You're, you're absolutely right. And just to give us uh, some some interesting um, uh, points here. So according to the Huffington Post and, and Telegraph, um, they claimed uh, in, in an article uh, in 2014 that about 17% of women describe themselves as addicted to pornography. Um, and there is uh, also uh, some stats that came from uh, a, a website called Pornhub, which is one of the industry's biggest providers, and they claim their site streamed 75 gigabytes of data a second last year, uh, enough to fill 175 million 16-gigabyte iPhones. So it's very interesting. I mean, of course, not everybody who uses porn may necessarily be addicted, but um, pornography is... I mean, you know, this idea we have gateway drugs like, oh, if you smoke uh, marijuana, it could be a gateway drug to cocaine or, or whatever. I mean, of course, that's uh, that can be unpacked in, in several ways. But pornography is now being described as a drug. And certainly if you watch it once in a while, um, what are the chances or the risks of it becoming an addiction if we do consider it a drug? Yeah, well, pornography and cyber sex in general has three properties that make it um, very potent, and and um, they call them the three A's. It's affor it's affordability, it's accessibility, and it's anonymity. So you don't most pornography online is free. You know, you, you, you know, for marijuana, you have to pay for marijuana. Um, you have there's there's an inconvenience in terms of accessibility, but right here, right now, it's you know at your fingertip. Everybody has a smartphone. Right? It's in your pocket. Right? So you don't have to go far away. Back in the day, you had to go to a CD, um, you know, adult store to get, get access to pornography, or, or go to you know inappropriate store to get a magazine. So, so it's accessibility. Um, create you know the exposure having it around for someone who is vulnerable in general. Um, that's not that's not a good thing. And number three. You're anonymous, you know, and nobody. You can go for years. I mean, in, in purify your gaze. Many of the 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 members that we have, it's been decades since they've been struggling, and many of them, not a single person in their life knows that they have a struggle with pornography. So these three things, in general, uh, these three things relating to pornography or cyber sex, uh, make it potent as an uh, addictive agent. And I'll. 
Um, I'll, I'll describe and, and qualify what I mean by addictive agent as, uh, as, we, uh, as we talk, inshallah. Yes, please. I, I also would like to add that there's also the illusion of usage of pornography being safe and sanitized. And what I mean by that is, you know, one of the things I try to coach people to, 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 to reflect on is, okay, because a lot of people who may be addicted to pornography, um, especially in the PYG community, uh, they're not necessarily the type who want to go out and commit zina, right? They, they, they would, you know, I always, I often ask, like, if you had the opportunity to actually go out and do some of these things that you are, um, viewing and observing, uh, you probably, you know, most of them say, I, I actually probably wouldn't, would never do that or, or want to do that. And I think this idea of it being this illusion of safe and, and sanitized is because, you know, as you said, it's very accessible. It's very convenient. It's it's private. You can do it, you know, anywhere, you know, as long as you're alone. Um, and the other aspect, though, too, is you're not dealing with sexually transmitted diseases or the possibility of it. You're not dealing with all the human smells and discomfort that actually exists in a real in real intercourse. Right. And I think that one of the, the powerful points for a lot of people to reflect on is pornography is a synthetic uh, pleasure or or illusion of joy that really is is it only detaches you and builds a, a frame of reference in a neurological circuitry that's just so distant from the real thing and that could be uh, a cause for um, a lot of depression uh, narcissism and um, uh, voids of, of real human uh, capacity for real human intimacy in the future uh, would you agree to that or, or have anything to add absolutely i mean there's one it's definitely a gateway drug, and um, that that uh, triggered actually a story of a client that um, that reached out to me, and um, he's 24 years at the time, and when he reached out, he had fallen into zina um, with a uh, with a coworker that just into an affair, and you know when we're we're just kind of uh, um, working back the tracks, and it just hit him that the 12 years of using pornography. All this time, he was saying to himself, you know what, I'll never commit zina. I'm doing this. Um, when I get married, I'll be able to, um, you know, I'll be able to quit. And um, I'll never be like those people outside. There was a spiritual arrogance that everybody, I'm better than these people outside who are openly fornicating. And um, I get to avoid that through this drug. And lo and behold, he landed exactly where he didn't want to be. And that's that's the danger of this. It's uh, there's there's a there's a definite slippery slope. Everybody says not me, not me, not me until you wake up and you find yourself in that situation. Right. Yeah. I mean, two things that came up for me. Number one, what do you have to say to those who may have a pornography uh, addiction or usage? And they might tell themselves, well, I'm using this because it's better than zina, right? Lesser of two evils. And inshallah, when I get married, I'll be liberated from this. That's basically the token to get out of this. Um, once I get married, it's all going to go away. and I'm not going to want to watch pornography anymore. How how accurate is that way of thinking from your experience? I'll, I'll, say, I'll say this quickly. I mean, 50%, 45% of our members are married. And um, all of all of them wow. had said that exactly that when I get married, I'll be able to quit. So I don't think there's there's much further that needs to be said about um, to someone who is in that position of you know this that this is the lesser of two evils. And in reality, just you know working with clients, I've seen it that many times it 
actually delays the process of getting married. It uh, you know creates uh, many obstacles to getting married, from uh, issues of self-esteem where you, you you doubt yourself to a lot of wasted time to um, just not feeling satisfied physically because you just have so many options at your fingertips. There's no commitment. And, uh, and, and um, you're entering into marriage with secrets and, and you feel like you can't be open. So you, you start your relationship on a bad foot. You know, you, um, you're hiding an aspect of your soul from someone who you're supposed to be so open with. And if you have that barrier between yourself and your spouse, you cannot have true intimacy. Intimacy is all about openness and not hiding. SubhanAllah. Yeah, I mean, I know of actual cases where brothers used pornography on their wedding night. SubhanAllah. I mean, like that was something, one of the times they got caught and it's like, that just goes to show that this type of logic of once I get married, it's all going to go away. Um, it's very risky and, and very unrealistic. Now, there are also situations where people start off with, you know, soft, soft pornography or, you know, viewing lingerie and these types of things. And then they find themselves after years, you know, whether you're Muslim or not, I've, I've heard it from, from people, you know, um, within and without the community. And then they find themselves now using content that they never imagined they would be interacting with. Um, why do you think that happens when people get into very dark spaces as far as what they consider desirable? And even to the extent that people that identify as heterosexual start to observe other types of um, sexual preferences in their porno pornographic content. I mean, how could that happen? What would be your explanation? The, the explanation to that is that simply that you, you find yourself getting dissatisfied when you see something over and over and over. Pornography provides you variety. And it provides you that rush. And when you're doing this to get excited and you're, you're engaging in the same material over and over, over time, um, you, you lose that, that satisfaction that wasn't that was initially there. And you want to, you know, up the ante a little bit, spice it up a little bit, find something a little bit edgier. And if you if you stop back and you look, you look at you look at yourself from where you started to where you are right now. Most people would say I never, never would have expected myself to be there. And I, I, the, it's, there's, there's an actual scientific term for this, uh, for this effect. It's not, uh, it's not coming to me at, at the time, but um, it's been proven, you know, scientifically that there, there isn't. Uh, over time, you do lose that satisfaction, um, and ultimately, there is. If you look at it, there is ingratitude because we're supposed to have. A sacred space for our sexuality where we're supposed to experience it with our spouse and outside of that there is this there's this uh, pride and and um, entitlement that develops where we need more and more and more and more and like all addictions you find yourself experiencing less and less and less joy it, it fleets you and and you're, you're searching for more joy for more joy but you'll never find it which is why there is that necessity to go to something more extreme. And you, like you said, it's a, a synthetic. So a synthetic joy will never replace that true joy you experience in an actual relationship. Right. And and there is an actual chemical basis to all of this. Yes. 
correct? I mean, when you, it's been, I mean, you can even, there's websites like Your Brain on Porn and other uh, literature out there, again, has nothing to do with religion. It's just, this is a human issue um, that they find that, of course, when you are searching for pornography and looking for, you know, uh, the content that you're looking for, there's actually a high that you experience. There's, there's dopamine levels that are released. You're, you, you feel similar, um, effects as, as other types of, uh, even stimulant drugs or, or pleasure, um, induced drugs. And of course, like any other drug, if I get used to, you know, uh, a baseline of pleasure, uh, with time, that's going to become, uh, excuse me, if I, if let's say my baseline of, of joy or inner peace is at a zero, right, the natural state, when I watch pornography, I shoot up to five, right, as far as dopamine levels and pleasure, for instance. And after some time, that five now becomes a zero mm-hmm. too. So my, my baseline keeps dropping, which means I seek more stuff, spend more time and start looking for more, as you said, spicy or, you know, crazier content because I'm not getting off the same way I used to. So there's also a chemical component to this. It's not just all like, oh, this is a metaphysical thing, a spiritual thing. No, this is actually rooted in neurology and biology as well. Is is that accurate? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one thing I, I find interesting is, you know, some people who are on the journey, they say, well, you know, at least I'm still a virgin. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've, t- I've had this discussion with some people before. I said, listen, a virgin isn't somebody who just hasn't had sexual intercourse. That's, that's the common understanding, right? So a person who's watched, you know, 10 or 15 years of pornography, but they've never touched a woman, would they be still considered a virgin? Um, based on the definition of virginity? And, and maybe I should check with you. What is the definition of virginity in your understanding? Um, or, or do you have any feedback from the Islamic tradition on what that means exactly? What else does it include besides never having physically consummated um, uh, a relationship with, a, with another individual? I mean, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, وَلَا تَقْرَبُوا الزِّنَا It's plain and simple. Don't come close to fornication, to adultery. And um, that includes guarding our eyes. And the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that each son and daughter of Adam will have their share of their, their fair share of zina. And that includes what the eyes see, you know, includes what the, the limbs may confirm. The, so so um, we, we have this concept of haya, of, of, of uh, uh, some describe it as modesty. Um, you know, it can be, it can be described as even sexual fidelity and you don't need to, you don't need to be mm. married to be, to, to have this level of fidelity, to have this level of even integrity in general. So, um, within our traditions, it's, it's pretty clear cut that we're not supposed to approach that which is, um, uh, unlawful for us. And what is lawful for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made uh, sex is not the problem. Sex is something beautiful. Sex is something natural. But there, there is a space for that, right. and we have to honor that. And, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala in His, in his hikmah has designed things for our own benefit. So, so we have to, we have to have that trust that even though that um, everybody else is doing it um, by by having this fidelity, that there is benefit. There is benefit from it, even though I don't see it. And and the reality is we do see it. The, you know, I'll, I'll tell you from the from the the folks in our program that are single, um, from finding you know having access to creativity um, that was that was found you know uh, and noticed 
uh, when they were able to stay away from this and able to to, to become sober um, and and uh, to greater levels of joy, to um, just inner peace that's there, to being to better performance mentally at work, um, entrepreneurial entrepreneurially socially. So it's not just metaphysical as we say the benefits. Oh, I get reward for it. You know, stay away. There, there's even a TED talk of a guy who. Um, I, I can't remember the name of the talk, but basically why I why I quit pornography. He talks about you know how his life changed, how his life improved as a result. You know, this is a non-Muslim just sharing how my life improved as a result of quitting porn. Just being able to to um, to honor, you know, we're speaking about men, but honoring the the opposite gender and not objectifying them. There are so many benefits um, to one's being that can be uh, actually observed as a result of uh, um, getting so much time back. Um, there's so much to be said about this topic. Right. And so the idea of haya and modesty is also a branch of Islam. And just my little nerdy footnote, you know, ladies and gentlemen out there, being a virgin is not just about what you've come in contact to physically but also emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. And part of virginity is not just the purity of your body, but the purity of your mind and heart, right? So if your heart is diseased with all of these imprints from haram content, um, this takes away from the innocence and the purity that is, is connected to this concept of being modest, right? And you are you can still be modest, as you said, even when you're married, right? Just because... Um, uh, I mean, obviously, you're not going to be a virgin if you're st- if you're married. Hopefully not. But uh, you c- you can still be modest. You know, you can still have modesty, and modesty isn't just about I've I've never been with a person. It's also about our attitude towards our bodies as sacred temples. Would you say that's accurate? It's definitely accurate. And, I, and um, a tangent that I did want to add that's important is if you know a lot of times um, from those that I've engaged with over the years, there is this. Uh, um, defeatist mentality that you know I've screwed up so badly that I could never regain um, this innocence, this uh, um, this purity, and that's furthest from the truth. This 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 despair is part of what perpetuates the um, you know if, if I'm damaged goods, then I might as well just stick with what I can get, um, and and um, it's important to not let this type of thinking um, get to us because that can actually create that reality which we we fear the most right and and this is a very common struggle that i think people um have in the recovery process um this idea of you know sobriety as the indicator of i have kicked this habit or this disease of the heart now what would you have to say about that because there are people who mashallah they 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 stay clean so to speak for three six months and then something happens and there's a relapse um, and then they feel like, well, I might as well just give up. And we know that, you know, these internal suggestions of despair and giving up and there's no hope for me. Um, this tends to be connected, of course, to our our own ego, as well as, of course, uh, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us in the Quran, that shaitan promises us poverty and constriction, whereas Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promises you abundance and forgiveness. Mm. And it's like, which which side do you want to take the guarantee from, right? Because on, on the one hand, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reminding us that no matter what, 
uh, you have to keep striving towards the good and things don't always happen overnight. And some people get impatient with that. They don't recognize that you don't fix people, you fix cars, you fix machines, but people heal. And that takes time. You know, no nobody who's ever broken a bone or had a serious injury, the doctor said, you know, okay, it's fixed. And the next day you're, you're back to business. It's always, you know, this is going to take time to heal. You need to get plenty of rest. You need to apply the procedures and the medicine as prescribed. And you have to trust in that process or else, you know, a, a quick fix isn't going to work. Uh, and, and this is certainly true when it comes to, to this uh, journey as well. Would you agree? Absolutely. And within the context of addiction recovery, I mean, there's, there are varying levels of sobriety um, and, you know, it's not just about quitting the behavior as well. There's also focusing on the general well-being, emotional well-being, spiritual well-being. And, you know, mistakes happen along the path. You know, um, there's the whole, um, you know, we use it within a common context of trying to lose weight. You know, you have one cookie and, you know, you, you, you promise yourself that you never have any cookies. You had one cookie doesn't mean you have to eat the whole cookie jar. You made a mistake, you know, you had a slip, but don't let that slip become a relapse. Don't let that that slip become that thing that, you know, destroys all the progress you've made. Right. So you should always keep going. And, and I always tell people, focus on the evidence of your progress itself, because that's what keeps us hopeful and motivated. But if we only fixate on the mistakes I made, uh, it's going to be very difficult for anyone to to think, um, you know, hopeful or more highly of themselves that they can actually evolve and transform. You're absolutely right. And part of the recovery process, one of the things that we do um, when we teach at Purify and Gaze is restoring that relationship with oneself. You know, is it a chicken or the egg? You know, does the pornography um, use lead to one feeling shame and um, having low feelings of esteem? Or does the, the feelings of low self-esteem lead one to pornography addiction? And in reality, they both go hand in hand. And uh, part of part of the maturation and growth uh, of ourselves is to to imp- improve how we treat ourselves, to um, become our own best ally, and and this is true for for anybody, regardless of you know, regardless if you're struggling with pornography or not. It's it's so important to have that good relationship with oneself. Right. I mean, a, a beautiful statement that I always go back to and share with with our our friends on the path is you know instead of thinking about the opposite of addiction is sobriety perhaps a better way to think about it is the opposite of addiction is connection mm. because we find that often um addictions no matter what they are they are they're crutches or or medications so to speak to to heal wounds or to mask wounds and Oftentimes, these these wounds have a lot to do with the human being feeling disconnected from themselves, from others, and from reality. And that's what tends to prompt people to want to escape from the reality or not want to confront their world or numb themselves because, you know, maybe their life is difficult or it's uncomfortable or it's painful or they're suffering in that moment or that time. Um, what would your thoughts be about that, that the opposite of addiction uh, is connection and how how does that align perhaps with some Islamic values and principles of connecting to the divine and connecting to what is true good and beautiful as a path you're absolutely right you know the opposite of addiction is life is connection is joy um, it's not just about attaining that that um, you know there is this there's there's this illusion that you know one one I become 
sober, life is going to be perfect. Life is going to continually be imperfect. And our task amidst the trials that we have in life is to find serenity, to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us peace, to grant us serenity, regardless of that uh, ibtila or that test that we go through in life. And um, that, that, that is, it's easier said than done. But I think that that is the ultimate aim. It's it, it is connection. It's not just about perfection or or being you know um, good. There is there is ihsan, but being that we are imperfect, uh, that we aim for that. But what we can what is in our control is to try to connect to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Now, some some you know schools of thought, specifically in, in Western psychology, will uh, emphasize this point of you know repression isn't good. You know, um, di- you know, uh, disciplining yourself from certain things that feel good or feel right to you, you know, especially when it comes to sexuality, we should just go with that. And I think that sometimes this results in, in even, you know, Western Muslims thinking, uh, who are on the path of recovery at PYG, they think, well, you know, I thought, well, if I just binge, you know, for a weekend or this month, I'll just get it out of my system, so to speak, right? Um, but that, but that doesn't seem to always be very accurate. Um, I mean, mm, that, mm, that doesn't seem to be very accurate for a lot of people's experiences. Idea of if I just overconsume, I'll somehow get sick of it and so desensitized that I'll never want it again. How how much truth is there to that uh, idea or perspective, in your opinion? It's, I mean, it's it's a manifestation of addiction, right? There are some people who use every single day. There are, you know, what we call the binge and purge type users where, you know, they go for extended periods of time where they don't use. And, and then, you know, their, their recovery is about avoidance of sex and then they, and then they have sex and then they avoid sex and then they have. So there is, you know, ultimately comes down to an intimacy problem, right? So sex is not the problem. Sex is, sex is something beautiful again, but it's the, what's happening beneath the surface. And we oftentimes, Especially with, especially because in our traditions there are um, injunctions, there are recommendations that have to do with sexual desire. This is not a, this is not an issue of desire. It's um, it's deeper than that. It's you know it's deeper than beyond. We have to look beyond the the sexual urge or the sexual desire to see what is happening spiritually, emotionally, mentally, um, relationally. That is causing us to want to escape. You know, a, a client of mine um, astutely put it that he has a tendency to numb out. You know, he, he's addicted to numbing himself out. And he, when he recognized that, he was able to see that it's not just about the porn anymore. You know, he noticed how he numbs himself out through his work, how he numbs himself out through the various, just the various, his lifestyle. And, um, Ultimately, his healing comes back to the reality, come back to the present, come back to connection. Yeah. So what I understood you say was, you know, desiring sex or desiring, you know, another to feel complete with romantically, intimately. That's, of course, not wrong in and of itself. That's part of the human condition. It's it's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala designed uh, for a purpose. And, and we're supposed to enjoy that within the proper parameters. But it sounds like what we need to be aware of is it's not about desiring sex. That's a problem. It's desiring unhealthy sexuality or or contact of sexuality. That's that's a more accurate uh, way of, of framing it. Would you say that's that's true? That's that's definitely true. And on the point of this idea of binging, you know, I mean, when I look at the schools of thought in Islamic psychology, or my understanding of it, 
Um, this is actually the opposite. The opposite is not binge and you'll make it go away, but rather disciplining and, um, and uh, cutting back on that thing that you need to remove from your life is the way to go. And you find this even in the, in the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ. There's a lot of gradualism in removing the social and personal diseases mm. of the time. You know, alcohol, for example, right? Alcohol wasn't, um, it, it wasn't even considered haram until, uh, what, 12 years into the mission? And it was actually revealed to be, you know, uh, prohibited once and for all, even after the salah was established. Right. So you, you even had people who were still drinking, um, but attending prayer and they were recommended not to come to prayer drunk. Right. So even you see gradualism with something like this. And um, in Islamic psychology, this concept of, you know, I'll, I'll use the food example. So when we're taught that we should have, you know, one third food, one third water, one third empty for our stomachs, you know, this, this is the sunnah of a healthy body and a healthy mind. Uh, and we know that if I eat a lot, um, my appetite will also grow and become more and more. This idea of let me just binge on fried chicken and French fries like all weekend, and on Monday I'll I'll just be fine with a salad, right? Realistically, it's that's a very difficult thing to transition to because we've we've literally stretched out our stomach. And I think a, a direct proof for for most of our listeners out there is you know right after Ramadan, how many of us can go to open buffets and eat perhaps the you know. Um, our cultural portions that we pride ourselves on. It's, it's very difficult. And so there is a lesson here that when you really want to remove something or cut back something in a healthy and realistic manner, it's not actually to let yourself go and then think it's going to flip o- over upside its head by, by, by tomorrow, but that you actually have to have a progressive uh, incremental changes to really achieve that thing for the long term. And ultimately, spiritually, you know, when we look at why we want to escape it's it comes down to looking at the challenges that we have in our life and it's learning to endure the pain that necessary pain that comes with trials because ultimately that's an opportunity for growth and we when we want to escape when we want to just when we want to just do something that's not within the natural um fitra you know, we have to step back and observe part of our maturation is observing why do I want to escape? And and, and a lot of times with, with the clients we work with, step number one, before even quitting and just having cognition, right? A lot for a lot of people, this is on autopilot and just having cognition, having awareness and recognizing, hey, I'm triggered right now. I want to escape. Why do I want to escape? What's going on? And just that basic mindfulness um, coming back to the present You'll find that even that desire to binge, that's it's fine if it comes there. You know, don't don't fight it, but work through it. And many many of the clients that you know I've worked with, that um, we've worked with at Purifier Ideas, they've attested that you know this 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 desire, this urge, this want wanting to binge, um, with mindfulness, with some of the resources, the the exercises, the tools we've given them, that's disappeared within you know, five, 10 minutes. SubhanAllah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very interesting because of course, um, many people may not really understand that pornography addictions, um, it's not always about like, oh, uh, you know, 
I was I was just a pervert all my life or I was sexually abused. I mean, of course, those those situations sometimes can be true. But but sometimes it's it's kids that, you know, you grew up with that had what we may see on the surface as normative, healthy, professional, you know, contributing families. Um, but but these children or, or adults ended up having pornography addictions because let's say family dynamics at home were, were difficult, right? One case I recall, a young man said that his parents used to fight constantly and there was all this negative energy. And one of his escape routes was to go to the basement and, uh, you know, hop on his computer and, and sometimes it was gaming, but eventually at age 12, 13, you know, hearing what's going on at school and what people, you know, show him on his phone, he starts searching, you know, some of his own stuff. And before you know it, pornography becomes his world of pleasure and power and control um, w that he didn't feel when he was at home. And, and sometimes uh, the, some of these cases, people are um, being bullied at school or they don't fit in. And so pornography almost served as a escape escapism for people to find pleasure and numb themselves from real life and, and feel the sense of control or power. Um, and in another case, uh, sometimes individuals who have felt desire for, let's say, the opposite gender, and they were met with rejection or they, no acknowledgement, they also found themselves going to pornography, pornography to find images or content that uh, reminds them of these individuals. And almost like they're playing out this fantasy that they could never have in reality. Um, and, and I've always found that a very interesting insight that sometimes the pornography that's used by people with uh, insecurity, especially towards the opposite gender, uh, the, the, the individuals that they look for in the world of pornography reflect what they desire. So, for instance, if I'm a minority and all the girls in my school are, you know, Caucasian and I'm very attracted to them, but they never gave me the time of day, um, the pornography that I go seek out is filled with Caucasian women, for instance. And so there's a lot of ways that this can play out that I think many people mm. um, aren't even aware of of how everything is so interconnected in the human being. And I, I wonder if you have any other examples or cases you can share with us that kind of could teach us more about how it's not about severe cases of, you know, sexual abuse or, or stuff like that, but it could be um, other items like I mentioned. Do you have any examples to, to, to follow with that? Oh, the, the example was of sexual abuse, <laughs> but, but, uh, there was, there was one client that I, I remember the, the, the reason I want to bring is, is it's, um, it is so profound and he, you know, w while working with him and there is, we, we each have a, like a sexual palette or a template and, and that is based on, you know, uh, it's, it's it kind of shaped, shapes, is shaped by our experiences and life experiences and what he found was that um, the material he, material he was searching for online, um, the theme of it was very violent. Um, the, uh, there, there was a theme of uh, um, domination and power. Um, and, and I don't want to get into the details of it, but, but uh, um, with, with just processing and, and working together, you know, he came to discover that um, a lot of it was um, a metaphor for a, a painful experience where he was physically and sexually molested by his older brother. And, and he was able for the first time to see, and he was in his thirties and he was, he was able to see that, you know, the material that he was watching emotionally, he was stuck at 12, 11, 12 years old when he had, when he was abused. 
And he was just acting this out over and over and over and over again because, you know, he didn't tell his family about this. He didn't tell his parents about this. And this was, you know, his way of getting it out. It was that was the positive intent he had. I want resolu- I want resolution. Right. It's almost like, a, um, again, a synthetic way to outsource your anger or trauma of your past for some people. Um, I, I also remember a case where an individual had a very negative relationship with his mother who also ended up passing at a young age. And one of the things that he was drawn to in the world of pornography was, um, you know, older or mature women from, from his, his age when he was using it. Now, some people might go, that's, that's really sick and strange. But again, you know, the human being go, who goes, the, the human being, as we know, I mean, nafs, the word nafsun is also connected to a word for being precious, right? And, and fragile and um, valuable. And the human being is exactly that, very fragile. And if there's certain types of damage and distortion that occurs because of our past, uh, this can also come out in very twisted and sophisticated ways as well. Um, it's not all just very uh, black and white or simple, as some people might think. So this young man was almost trying to overcompensate for the loss of his mother and that intimacy that he never had and, and desired so bad through sexuality. Because as we know, emotional and intimate systems of the human being is is con- is concentric to the sexual aspect, which is why when you really love somebody, you know, making love to somebody is not just the physical act of sexuality, but there's also a deeper emotional connection to that individual. And that's usually what makes a relationship sustainable and healthy. And what I understand to be exactly what Islam wants to promote and help humans achieve. Absolutely. And I think, you know, again, it's, it's, it's going, what we describe as the iceberg models going beneath the tip of the iceberg and doing that soul work to understand, hey, what's going on in my life that is making this uh, this outlet, this addictive agent, um, so uh, so tempting or so desirable to me. And once we can break out of the content, which is sex, and look at the context, which is, hey, um, this is a coping mechanism, it becomes much easier um, to to see things for what they are and to um, also apply the, the right remedy for the situation. And, and what I found is because we have these specific traditions that focus on sexual desire, many people try these things from the fasting. Um, and I've, I've seen brothers and sisters, may Allah reward them, who fasted literally every single day or the fast of Dawood every other day for years, six, five, six years, they're fasting every other day. And this extreme, um, you know, this extreme attempt to control is usually something that's beneath the surface that is waiting for us to, um, to be seen and, and to be expressed. And the reality is we all have needs. We all have genuine needs. And the, the, the ultimate outcome is to find the the healthy vehicle to to meet our needs you know a, a vehicle a, a a means that uh ideally feels good when we do it uh, allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created this uh pleasure and pain um to encourage us you know something feels bad stay away from it something feels good uh, uh persist in it but recognizing that which is not only feels good in the moment, but is also ultimate, ultimately pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, makes us better human beings, allows us to be our best self. 
So sometimes, you know, when we do something like Salah, for example, it's not going to feel good in the moment, but in the long haul, it's going to be good for us. And we have to find the right outlets, you know. So the problem isn't needs. The problem isn't bottling up our emotions. We just want to, we want to have that, to trust our emotions, which is why the Prophet ﷺ told us, he told the, sah- the Sahabi, consult your heart. So, so consult your heart, see what's in your heart. And if you don't understand that which is in your heart, find someone who can help you, uh, who can be a mirror back to you, whether it's a, a teacher, whether it's a mentor, whether it's a, a therapist, a counselor, a coach, someone who can help you to, to, to get closer to this, to the reality of your heart. So you can ultimately fulfill that which your, your heart wants. You know, the, ultimately the body and the heart knows the, the body and the heart is connected to truth. And we may fall short in our attempt to, um, to actualize that truth, but we, we all have that right intent, even though it comes, it may come along in the, the, the wrong or not the best um, vehicle or, or way, but that's a struggle. We all have that struggle. And, and as we become better versions of ourselves, we're going to find better, uh, we'll find more resourceful ways to to uh, meet our needs. And, and some of these needs are may include things like a need for significance, a need for contribution, a need for validation, a need for growth, a need for partnership. A lot of these foundational human needs that even humanistic psychology, um, uh, such as Maslow, would talk about this hierarchy of needs and that every human being is you know, ha- craves the desire to self-actualize. And oftentimes these addictions are connected to not being able to fulfill the, the pyramid of needs, so to speak. Now, one thing that's, that's very strong in the PYG, um, theme or message is not so much, you know, you need to control this, but you have to surrender to this reality. And I have found that some of our clients have had a difficult time wrapping their head around this. Like, how am I supposed to surrender to this? How is that going to help me surrendering to God and letting go and, and knowing that only Allah SWT can give me the true nasib? I mean, of course, we take the means and that's why we're in programs like PYG or doing what we're doing. But for a lot of people, that's very counterintuitive. Like, if I need to change something, shouldn't I be trying to control it all the time? Why isn't that necessarily the solution? And how would you say surrender is is more effective? Yeah, I mean, I, I for one one a teacher that I um, learned from, he said that the ultimate addiction is control, right? That is the ultimate. That, that's that's the ultimate addiction. And and when we step back, you know, this this is going meta. You know, um, when we step back and we recognize um, how out of control we are in our life. So, Panallah just. Uh, the number of things, just something, one small thing in your whole life can turn upside down. There is that spiritual reality that um, there is a spiritual disease that is common with um, with addictions in general, in that one is trying to control their life. And one feels out of control, completely out of control, and they're trying to, to act as God because there is that disconnection, there, there is that disconnect with God. And there is that mistrust of God. There is that mistrust that ultimately Allah, um, you know, I may understand it cognitively, but emotionally, um, I don't really trust Allah. I don't. Yeah, it's difficult to live that yeah. versus understand it mentally. And, sure. And we all, we all, we all, um, um, we all struggle with that. But it's recognizing that. And that's that's where the surrender comes. Ultimately, 
I surrender myself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I, sur- I admit knowingly that I've lost control. You know, I've, I've, I've attempted to quit and I've tried to control myself. I've tried so many different things and um, I, I don't have control. And, um, you know, we, we go to our traditions, you know, we have the statement, la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah, right? So many people make the mistake, they say la hawla wa la quwwata, right? There's no power nor might, right? But except by Allah. And, and it's by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that, that mountains can be moved, you know, miracles can happen and, and um, the world can be changed. So the, the ultimately it's lit surrendering so that we go bismillah, by the name of Allah, with the name of Allah, and not by our own self. Okay, so Ziyad, this idea of control and surrender. Now a very strong dua that we we emphasize in the program is La ilaha illa anta subhanak. The du'a of Sayyidina Yunus Can you tell us briefly about his story and why this particular du'a is, is, is so central to this mentality of recovery? What, what could you say about that? In the story of Yunus if you're, if you're familiar with it, um, uh, ultimately Yunus was stuck in three darknesses. You know, the darkness of the night, the darkness of the ocean, and the darkness of the belly of the whale. And uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspired Yunus alayhi salam to make this, this, um, this dua um, and, and uh, in this special place, uh, you know, la ilaha land, subhanak inni guntum al And this dua is resulted in, in Yunus alayhi salam being, um, you know, being ex- expelled from the belly of the whale. And, um, you know, I've learned this from, from my teachers that, you know, ultimately that, in life, we all have this metaphorical whale we go through that um, that we're stuck in. You know, it could be an addiction to porn. It could be um, being in extreme debt. It could be being unable to get married. It could be being unable to conceive a child um, as a couple. And we try, we try, we try, but it's ultimately recognizing, you know what? I'm stuck. I'm stuck. <laughs> um, I could I could shout. I can do whatever I want, but... Um, there's nobody but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that can get me out of the situation. And this, this ultimate acknowledgement of monotheism, of, of it's, it's the, the purity of it, and, and uh, turning to Allah in, in sincerity, turning to Him with full knowledge that only He can change your situation, that is what's so powerful of this dua. And, and we reference this dua in the Purifier Gaze program specifically, um, as a means of embracing one's powerlessness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Our ultimate, you know, ultimately Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, has said that we are all weak and we are all eternally powerless. And, and it's learning to embrace this reality each day, each moment, um, this powerlessness that we have in our life that allows us to find power to change that which may, on the surface, um, you know, may, may, may seem daunting, right? You know, that, that's sometimes that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes, you know, trials on the surface may seem like punishment, but, you know, the reality of it is rahmah. There, and it's inside of it is rahmah. And, and many of our clients at Purifier Gaze describe their addiction ultimately as a blessing in disguise because it's what ultimately draws them to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, allows them to rediscover their true self. And without it, they couldn't have come to this um, this reality. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, inshallah, forgives them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings them close to him. Mm. 
How did Yunus get there in the in the belly of the whale? What lessons do we have pretext of getting into the whale as far as his mission and, and devotion to what he was uh, guided to do as, as his path or journey to, to do what was right? How, how can we take from that aspect? Maybe maybe you can share more on that, but I, I think it's um, um, <laughs> the, the more of more of the the gems I I can take away are are, are from the uh, him being inside of the wall. But maybe you can share with us what uh, um, what gems are there uh, with the pretext of of the story. Sure. So so my understanding is Yunus Alislam was making dawah to his people, and he wasn't getting the results that he wanted. Correct. Right. And then he punched out too soon. Correct? Correct. Now, this is a very common theme that I hear with people in recovery. Like, I, I, I've, been, I've been doing this for so long. Why hasn't Allah taken this you know, away from me once and for all? Why, why, why do I still desire this? Or why am I still thinking about this? In other words, I'm doing my part and I'm not getting the results I want. SubhanAllah. Right? And then deciding that I don't want to do this or I'm giving up. Or now you doubt Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's as you said, the power of God, you see. Mm. So perhaps that's an important reminder for, for anyone listening that sometimes doing what's right and being virtuous isn't always about getting the results that you want when you want them and how you want them, but it's about sticking to the track because you know that's what's true and good and beautiful and let Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Mm. Um, bring the outcome when you're ready because a lot of people it's just like I don't get it I'm doing this for God I'm trying to be sober for God or connected for God why do I still have this problem right in, in other words I want I want it now and it's very hard for some people to recognize that in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's wisdom and this is one of the things I tell people I say listen if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is keeping you on this journey for another 6, 12 months or 3 years, but it means ultimate salvation and that the rest of your life, inshallah, the next 50, 60, 70 years of your life is going to be straight and clean as far as this issue, then what's the big deal if you're going to be with this for another 6 months? Be patient. Have perseverance. And that's one of the things we also learned from Yunus alayhi salam as well as the, all the prophets, that patience is, you know, mafi shayt ba'd sabr right? Patience is the is the beginning and end virtue that's going to get you through how you're going to gain wisdom and truth and ihsan and all these lovely things. How are you going to do that if you're, there's no patience and persistence in your path? And I think I think an added, you know, gem that we can take is that it's human to lose patience, right? You know, and, and, and um, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that, um, that the prophets are from ourselves, right? That, you know, that they're human. So, you know, perhaps a, a takeaway as well that if we lose patience, as Yunus Salam was frustrated, he was frustrated with the outcome. And I think it's it's while we have while, you know, part of Sabr as well is that we can get frustrated, but it's it's and that, that is part of the process. So it is natural to be frustrated. It is natural to want that outcome. But it's ultimately trusting the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, and sometimes as well, if you're doing the same thing over and over and over again, right? Maybe maybe it's it's uh, an opportunity to get feedback, right? You know that hey, something is missing. I need to change something as well. So it's not just to you know you know practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent, right? So so it's it's an opportunity to self-correct as well. If um, if the approach we have is not um, getting the result that we want. 
Sure. And and two other verses of the Quran that come up for me that's actually connected to the uh, what's worth fighting for exercise in the Breaking Free course on PYG is um, chapter 29, verse 2. Um, do, do the people think that they will be left to say, we believe and not be tested? And sometimes the test is the patience or persevering with what you know you should be doing. Right. So it's easy to be like, I'm religious now because, you know, I've been sober for three months. But if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala really loves you, he wants to make sure that this is a permanent change. Right. The other verse that comes up is chapter 83, verse 14. The stain on their hearts is due to what they used to do. Subhanallah. So we sometimes have to also be humble and recognize that the reason why things are tough for me is because you know, I've been watching pornography for 10, 15 years and we have to be realistic. You think it's going to just, you know, vanish and your heart's going to be fully polished in three, six months. Yani, we also have to step back and go, you know, how, how realistic are we here? And, uh, and look at, I mean, look at the story of Yunus alayhi salam. You know, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala willed, Yunus alayhi salam could have come out in, you know, whole, um, untouched, nothing, nothing, nothing wrong with his body. But even his body, you know, when he came, as the Quran t- tells us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructed him to find these uh, plants and branches or, or the special plant to apply to his body to deal with the acid from being inside the belly of the whale. And, um, you know, there is, the, there, if you look at any medicine, apply it twice a day for three weeks. You know, take this, you know, this pill once a day for six months. There is a patience that's involved as well with the with the remedy, and um, you know it's not gonna it's not gonna come you know uh, results don't come yesterday as they say even though we want it to come yesterday there there is a patience with the process as well. Right. So to summarize, willpower alone is not enough. You also need to surrender and yani um, nafsak. Right. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. nafsak. Yeah. To Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I mean, the, all these terms, Islam, Muslim, it's all about surrender and letting go and, re- and relying on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala where the human condition is void or, or not full enough. That's where we outsource our, our emptiness or, or the holes that we have in ourselves to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because as we know, the relapses will likely occur for most people. And sometimes this is connected because we don't have this full reliance on Allah. And my understanding is surrender is about being active in your duty, even when you don't get the results that you want. Because if you only do it to get the results that you want, then your ego is still in the way, Mm. isn't it? Mm. But trusting in God's absolute wisdom and knowledge that he will deliver you the results as he wants, when he wants, and how he wants... That's really reliance up to him, mm, isn't it? Mm, mm, right? Mm. And, and, and this powerlessness um, st- t- comes from almost the resistance that you want to surrender to Allah wholly like this, right? Fully. Um, that is what I found to be one of the blocks. And I think, you know, we, so at Purify Your Gaze, we do have an eight-step framework that does make this, you know, reality practical. So part of also surrendering, you know, there's that age old joke of the man who drowned at sea and, you know, the helicopter came, the the, uh, lifeguards came, he threw a life vest and he said, you know, I'm waiting for God to help me. I'm waiting for God to help me. And when he died and he's asked why he takes the help, you know, I said, I was waiting, I was waiting for God to help me. But in this, you know, in reality, this was God's help (laughs) that came your way. 
Right. So, you know, um, we focus very much on the practical side and, and, and understand, you know, you know, as Muslims, ultimately, you know, our aim is, you know, right. So that we, you know, ultimately our livelihood, you know, our, our sacrifice, our life, our death is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We want to bring this intention out in everything we do and, you know, bring this intention out into action is what what we focus on with some of the practical things so someone who is in that situation right for example that who who has come to recognize you know what that i am vulnerable when i'm by myself and um and um i'm in front of the computer part of my powerlessness is acknowledging hey you know what me plus media by myself um is not a good recipe right so part of my powerlessness is acknowledging that I cannot have this situation. Many of the clients that we worked with, right, they give up their, you know, um, yes, it's a, a nice convenience to have a smartphone all the time, but if it's causing, you know, it's causing you harm, part of your part of my powerlessness is acknowledging that I can't have a smartphone and you switch to a basic, you know, flip phone home. So that is part of powerlessness of maybe a practical way look at, look at looking at surrender and powerlessness at the same time. And part of powerlessness as well is, you know, is allowing yourself to also experience the good things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has brought into your life, experiencing joy. You know, um, it's not just about the avoidance of pain. Sometimes we punish ourselves or we hold ourselves back from, from being happy. We sabotage our happiness. We, we're afraid to be happy. We're afraid to, 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 be, to be joyful. So it's, it's having that vulnerability, ultimately powerlessness, powerlessness is connected to our ability to truly embrace our vulnerability. MashaAllah. Let's talk more about the program. Um, so on, on if we visit purifyyourgaze.com, uh, there's four things that kind of stick out for, for the, uh, the visitor. So we have peer-driven support, training courses, personal coaching, and behavioral tracking software. Can you tell us more about those um, features and, and why they're important and, and effective? Sure. So, you know, if we, if we look at the big picture, what our aim in the program, we have an eight-step Islamically and therapeutically sound model um, with the aim of helping um, helping our members, helping our clients to um, understand what's happening beneath the surface, understand what um, are the deeper needs that are causing them to um, to to want to escape to pornography, to sex, um, to remedy to remedy this or to to treat this underlying need and to find ways to experience joy holistically. So we very much have a holistic approach to, um, to, well, to, to recovery. It's not just about, you know, 12 months of um, praying more. Of, being able to, of praying more or being, being able to quit for 12 months or, and beyond, and that's it, you know, that's the, the ultimate success. But ultimately, it's being able to have, so, so through the eight steps uh, of our program, um, you know, one of these steps, for example, is being able to experience joy, right? And, and, and to, to live out life, um, uh, live out life and to have habits, to have a lifestyle that um, brings you joy. And, that's, and, and, and it's not just about the absence, it's also about the joy. It's about the growth. So within this larger goal, we have, um, we have these, uh, these tools to help someone actualize it. So we have over 100 plus hours of, of an educational library of 100 plus hours that focuses on different aspects of, of, of health and well-being from the things that we talked about earlier, like setting up boundaries to um, understanding your needs and understanding some of the things that are, that are beneath the surface. 
Um, so we have 100 plus hours of content. We have an anonymous and private um, uh, community forum where uh, individuals can interact with others on the path, on a journey, and also interact with our staff as well. So um, this is really, really important, you know, so it's not just, um, you know, you mentioned it earlier that the opposite of addiction is connection. And um, one of the means, you know, when you're trying to break away from this agent that you're so deeply connected to is to find relationships um, uh, healthier means of connection to help you endure some of the pain, some of the triggers. So you have you have this fellowship, you have this this community, and it's not just through um, the forums. We have um, uh, multiple support group meetings that happen uh, telephonically, and we also um, we've had some members branch out and, and create support groups in person offline uh, in various cities around the world. So the idea is connection, embracing connection. Um, being able to have that fellowship, being able to, 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 to have that safe place where you can be vulnerable, but you can also be around other people as well that hold you in check, that, that give you that accountability, that give you that tough love, that, that um, hold you to the higher standard of yourself when, when you, you're in that moment of doubt. Um, so we also have, um, we also have a, uh, an application that we call the self-care tracker. And um, I, I, uh, I developed this, or I didn't develop that, but I had a team develop this after I observed that um, ultimately the, the goal, or there, there are signs, there are clues that point to one being in a good state and signs and clues that point to one being um, in a dangerous state. So a lot of times uh, the clients that I worked with, they'd come to me and say, Brother Ziad, um, I don't know, out of nowhere I slipped. I, out of nowhere it just came and I didn't see it coming. But it's learning to drive with your eyes on a dashboard, right? It's like looking at your gas tank, right? When you, when you notice that the gas tank is going to empty, you learn to refuel. So what the self-care tracker does is it helps individuals track how well they're taking care of themselves. Because in the absence of self-care, th there's ultimately cheap ways of, of uh, cheap attempts or cheap behaviors, shortcuts, synthetic, synthetic behaviors or synthetic means to, to pleasure or joy that um, create that slippery slope environment where it's easy to um, endure or to, to fall, uh, fall into um, unhealthy behaviors. So what the self-care tracker does is, is gives one an aspect of muhasaba, of self-accountability. And also you can be held accountable to someone else. So ultimately you're looking and, and you're noticing how well am I taking care of myself today? So it's not, a, it's not about, you know, did I, was, did I abstain today? Was I perfect today? It's more about, you know, how well did, how well did I take care of myself today? If I did great, it's an opportunity to celebrate. If today was a hard day, it's a, or if I have a string of hard days, it's a sign for me, you know, visually I see it. I'm going through a hard time. Let me take a step now before it leads to something worse, you know, ultimately slipping back to old habits and behaviors. Let me intervene now, whether it's having a conversation with my counselor, whether it's, um, you know, asking for support, whether it's, you know, I've been on the grind with work. Um, I've been working myself too hard and maybe I need to readjust back. It's, it's very natural to fall out of track. Um, it's very natural to forget Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And ultimately Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, what? You know, remember your Lord when, you're, when you forget. 
So this visual cue um, is a very, very practical way for our, that's, uh, for our members that's help them, you know, put recovery into action. So take these concepts like powerlessness, um, you know, part of my powerlessness is I'm going to um, be tracking these five to seven habits that I know are good for me that are part of me being at my best each day. I'm going to track it. That's part of my powerlessness. It's part of my uh, So, So the self-care tracker is another thing. And then we also, um, we, we, have, um, we have an assigned member of our team that um, holds you accountable, that just checks in with you, that's there. So, um, you know, we recognize if you haven't been to a call in some time, you haven't um, been on a platform for some time, we check in with you. So, so there is that, that direct accountability that's so needed for any type of behavioral change as well. Yeah, and I love I love that uh, emphasis there, uh, the self care and solidarity. So, number one, just yesterday I spoke to an individual who, Subhanallah, he did PYG a few years back, and he's going to re-sign up again. And he was actually sharing how one of the members of the PYG team did exactly that. He reached out, checked in on him, seeing how he was doing, and he said, "Echi." I can't tell you, Kareem, this was a sign from God because I was in a slump and I took it as an opening that, you know, that he remembered me and connected and asked how I was doing. And now he's he's back in the program and continuing on his progress and, and monitoring and maintaining yeah. all of these things. So so there's a lot of uh, hikmah to that for sure. And of course, self-care, if you're not ha- having self-care, it could end up leading to self-destruction. And this emphasis of a healthy fulfillment in life, healthy connections, experiencing joy. This is such an important concept. And I remember one case where, you know, um, a brother started to, um, you know, his routine was just workaholic, come home, he's home, he is not married, so he's alone. And that's a very difficult routine to find healthy connection with. If all your life is work, and then you come home and you're alone and, and you, you don't eat well. And once he started to exercise, um, not, and I'm not talking about like going to the gym and becoming Arnold Schwarzenegger here, right? But just even just you know 30 minute walks three times a week um making sure that 70 percent of what you eat is healthy nutritious food um getting out and 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 this guy even you know you'd never think but he's like brother i signed up for a pottery class and i signed up and i went horseback riding and i feel so alive and i feel so much closer to allah from those things and i'm like subhanallah because many people think you know to get more religious and spiritual it's just about reading more quran or listening to more lectures but this guy went out and rode a you know went horseback riding took a pottery class you know discovered the artistic side of of him and this increased his iman and connection with Allah and he had a great phase at that time he you know it diminished his need for using pornography because he felt so connected to his life and this is true in many other cases whether it's with family with wives um, brothers have also mentioned when they relapse it tends to be when they feel disconnected or distant from their partners their wives or their families uh, they find themselves uh, more likely to, to relapse uh, and of course this aspect of community is so important. And I always tell, you know, individuals that I'm coaching right now that you have to take advantage of the community because solidarity and support is one of the keys to healing. You know, you can't expect to just, you know, do it all by yourself. And, uh, you should harness, you know, the accountability buddies and the weekly call-ins and, and, and all of the forums and discussions because we know that part of what helps anybody get over anything is to not feel alone. Especially, especially with porn, right? You know, part of, part of, part of the struggles, it's, it's such a secret struggle. And you can't, you know, one of the excuses or one of the obstacles 
from getting help is that there's nobody I can talk to about it. And so we have eliminated this, eliminated this obstacle, you know, uh, to, you know, put an end to it. And, and, um, you know, you have people, you're never alone. You have people that are, um, that, that can support you, that, that can, uh, that can encourage you, that can, um, help you get back up if you've fallen down. And we need, and ultimately, one of the things we encourage our members to do is while you have the support community, this, the support community should encourage you to build, um, these relationships out in, in real life. So some of, some of our members, like I said, have, um, as a result of their experience in the program, they've actually met up in real life. They've, uh, you know, you know, we had some two members that I know. One was living in Canada. One was, one was living in, in the UK. And after years of holding each other accountable, right, they they met up in Canada. They, they they had a great time together. But you know, and and you know, as a result of these principles, these experiences, the reason why I said so many members say that this is a blessing in their life is they've learned so much that's that's helped them excel. This 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 brief period of struggle, um, or this long period of struggle coupled with um, the beauties of recovery, the gems of recovery, the fruits of recovery have, have been materialized in other areas of, of the life, entrepreneurially, relationally, professionally, spiritually, um, you know, in their community. And, uh, and that's, that's the most beautiful thing uh, that, that's come out of this. MashaAllah, it's wonderful. And, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really happy to be a part of the mission. And uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continue to increase you and the team and, and all of our members. Why don't you tell us uh, briefly, what are the types of memberships that are available? So uh, we keep it simple. Um, over the years, so Purifier Gaze, like other, you know, other companies, you know, we've, we've evolved. So, you know, some things have worked, some things didn't work. And ultimately what we've, what we've come to is there's, there's two main means or two uh, means, main opportunities to, to go through the program. So you can go through the community program. That, that I described that has these features, the, um, the, the, the Netflix for recovery, um, uh, you can call it that, um, the, the, um, uh, the, the community forums, the weekly support group sessions, the self-care tracker, and you're working through it with other people. And then the second level that we have is to work with a coach like Karim, um, in, you know, you have that one-on-one facilitation um, to help personalize your experience while also having the ben- all the other benefits that um, a regular member has in the community as well. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, if you had um, any three tips or advice to give um, people out there that are currently struggling with the porn addiction or they know somebody in their family or a friend that is, what advice would, would you give them besides, of course, checking out purifyyourgaze.com ASAP? Yeah, um, that's number one, two, and three. Check out purifyourgaze.com. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, uh, I think I think number one, I think is remembering that um, you're not alone, and and um, it's not your fault. It's not your fault, and it's not you're not alone. And all the past experiences, all these struggles that you've had up to this point, all the attempts you've made to change, may Allah's path Allah bless you and allow you to um, to gain the reward for your sincerity and trying as well. And many people, we continue to struggle because simply they're missing resources. They're missing knowledge. So number one, it's not your fault. Number two, seek out support. Get get educated. Or maybe I probably leave that as number three. But number two is do something about it. If you're not happy, do something about it. Right? And don't wait. You know, Don't wait until it gets worse. If you are unhappy now, 
do something about it. Use that opportunity. And it's never too late. It's, it's never, never too, too late. late, by the way. Yeah, there's a whole there's a whole proverb, you know, no no matter how far you've gone down the wrong the wrong road, turn back. Right? It's never too late. Um, you're never damned for eternity. Turn back. You know, so so do something about it now. Each and every single member that we've worked with, the thousands that we've worked with in our program, um, I haven't speak I haven't spoken to the thousands, but the the the, the hundreds that I've had the chance to work with. They've all expressed having something in common, a moment of truth where they recognize that, you know, my life needs to change. Use that, use that momentum, use that, use that pain in your life, use that, that sign that something is wrong as momentum to do something about it. Number three, find a safe place where you can continually learn about yourself. You can continually improve yourself. And number three, you can continually become your best self. Whether that's with purify your gaze, whether it's um, in your local community with a uh, a mental health professional, whether it's a combination of different things, it's really important to to give yourself the opportunity to have a safe place that's judgment free that um, can give you feedback, right? Give you feedback, and ultimately, um, with that feedback, we we all have blind spots, and when we have that feedback, we can adjust our mirrors. And see, hey, um, there's a car on my side. I probably should watch out for that. I shouldn't, you know, bump into that. But when we can see, when we have insight, when we have clarity, that gives us the potential to um, to make the right choices. So as we grow, our capacity to see, to recognize, is also going to grow. And um, th- these are probably my three tips. Number one, number one is to to recognize that you're not by yourself, you're not, um, you're not evil, you're not, um, you're not bad, you know, all these things, you fall into something and it's, it's probably, there, there's something deeper, there's, there's, a, there's a positive intent why, behind why you're doing this, and it's, it's just a poor uh, mechanism, a poor crutch for your genuine needs. Number two, if you feel bad about it, if you feel you're in a level of pain, if you feel that you can't take it anymore, Use that opportunity, use that momentum to do something about it. Number three, enter a safe place of healing. Right. And by the way, point number two is I would even argue a sign from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that your heart is still alive. Absolutely. Right? Because as you said, the Prophet said, you know, counsel with your heart. And so if your heart is alive and feeling bad about this and, and feeling the harm, then that means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is you know, there's still love and hope there for you. And this is an indication that you can do something about it. But how long will you, you know, put out that flame that keeps lighting inside your heart, right? That's again the, yani, the kufr of, of the sin when we just say, oh, that's not going to work for me. Or, oh, I don't really, I can do this by myself. I mean, we've we've worked with very successful people uh, in, in the religious and the dunya spheres, if you will. And so it, it can happen to anybody. As long as you're human, this can be an issue that you you face or could face. So it's very important to to be realistic about that, but also remember the hope and and uh, forgiveness of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, as He reminds us that your bad deeds can become good ones if you turn back and 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 uh, commit yourself to what is true, good, and beautiful. Yeah, and and probably uh, where where I conclude is one of the things that has inspired me the most. You you started out by saying you wanted to call this uh, finding God. Through pornography, one of the things we talk about in the program is this concept of porn addiction to paradise. And one of the one of the the things that Ibn Al Qayyim 
mentions is that, um, you know, he mentions that a sin can lead someone to paradise and a good deed can lead someone to hellfire. And, and, you know, his student asked, how could that be? He said that this person who um, felt arrogant with their good deed, this arrogance led them to the hellfire. And this person whose sin um, experienced, had this sin or committed this sin or these sins, you know, it, it resulted in them having humility and improving themselves and coming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, you know, we we should never, if it's a porn addiction, whatever whatever the situation may be, you know, whatever the sin, that recurring sin may be in our life, and we all sin, we, when we're not, we're never going to stop sinning, right? So the the reality is we need to look at our sins as opportunities to come in nearness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And these sins that cause so much havoc, so much heartache, can by the grace, by the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be placed in our life as a means to enter paradise. But we have to be, um, again, surrender. we have to surrender to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and invite, invite his divine intervention into our life so that we may uh, facilitate this, inshallah, inshallah ta'ala. I love, I love that reminder from Ibn Qayyim, rahimahullah. Um, and I also kind of unpack that concept in episode four called The Two Fornicators. Uh, so check that out uh, if you haven't heard that. And um, again, purifyyourgaze.com. It's a wonderful resource for our community. And I believe in it so much that I work for it. And uh, even though I have my own um, organization going with Noor, but that's how much it matters and how important it is. And I've seen the Baraka and the Fatha that's happening with our brothers and sisters. So uh, this this organization has served thousands of people from all over the world. It is an online uh, um, community, so you can do it from anywhere. You can access it. It's a, it's accessible and available for anyone anywhere, inshallah, as long as you have internet and uh, the dedication. Brother Ziad, thank you so much for coming. It was very insightful and, and helpful to hear uh, your feedback and your responses, and, and thank you for, for honoring us today. And may Allah SWT continue to bless you and your family and all that you do. I mean, thank you so much for having me. Zakullah khair. Assalamu alaikum. Allah yubarakatuh. Alex, Alex, Alex.